Chapter forty two, part four of Leviathan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. Chapter forty two, part four of Power Ecclesiastical. Hitherto hath been shown what the pastors of the church are, what are the points of their commission, as that they are to preach, to teach, to baptize, to be presidents in their several congregations, what is ecclesiastical censure, viz. excommunication, that is to say, in those places where Christianity was forbidden by the civil laws, a putting of themselves out of the company of the excommunicate, and where Christianity was by the civil law commanded, a putting the excommunicate out of the congregations of Christians, who elected the pastors and of the church, that it the congregation, who consecrated and blessed them, that it was the pastor. What was their due revenue, that it was none but their own possessions, and their own labor, and the voluntary contributions of devout and grateful Christians, we are to consider now what office in the church those persons have who, being civil sovereigns, have embraced also the Christian faith. And first, we are to remember that the right of judging what doctrines are fit for peace, and to be taught the subjects, is in all commonwealths inseparably annexed, as hath been already proved, chapter 18, to the sovereign power civil, whether it be in one man or in one assembly of men. For it is evident to the meanest capacity that men's actions are derived from the opinions they have of the good or evil which from those actions redound unto themselves, and consequently men that are once possessed of an opinion that their obedience to the sovereign power will be more hurtful to them than their disobedience will disobey the laws, and thereby overthrow the commonwealth, and introduce confusion and civil war for the avoiding whereof all civil government was ordained. And therefore in all commonwealths of the heathen the sovereigns have had the name of pastors of the people, because there was no subject that could lawfully teach the people, but by their permission and authority. This right of the heathen kings cannot be thought taken from them by their conversion to the faith of Christ, who never ordained that kings, for believing in him, should be deposed, that is, subjected to any but himself, or, which is all one, be deprived of the power necessary for the conservation of peace amongst their subjects, and for their defense against foreign enemies. And therefore Christian kings are still the supreme pastors of their people, and have power to ordain what pastors they please, to teach the church, that is, to teach the people committed to their charge. Again, let the right of choosing them be, as before the conversion of kings, in the church, for so it was in the time of the apostles themselves, as hath been shown already in this chapter. Even so also the right will be in the civil sovereign, Christian. For in that he is a Christian, he allows the teaching, and in that he is the sovereign, which is as much as to say, the church by representation, the teachers he elects are elected by the church, 
and when an assembly of Christians choose their pastor in a Christian commonwealth, it is the sovereign that electeth them, because it is done by his authority, in the same manner as when a town choose their mayor. It is the act of him that hath the sovereign power, for every act done is the act of him, without whose consent it is invalid. And therefore, whatsoever examples may be drawn out of history concerning the election of pastors by the people or by the clergy, they are no arguments against the right of any civil sovereign, because they that elected them did it by his authority. Seeing then in every Christian commonwealth the civil sovereign is the supreme pastor, to whose charge the whole flock of his subjects is committed, and consequently that it is by his authority that all other pastors are made, and have power to teach and perform all other pastoral offices, it followeth also that it is from the civil sovereign that all other pastors derive their right of teaching, preaching, and other functions pertaining to that office, and that they are but his ministers, in the same manner as magistrates of towns, judges in courts of justice, and commanders of armies are all but ministers of him that is the magistrate of the whole commonwealth, judge of all causes, and commander of the whole militia, which is always the civil sovereign. And the reason hereof is not because they that teach, but because they that are to learn are his subjects. For let it be supposed that a Christian king commit the authority of ordaining pastors in his dominions to another king, as diverse Christian kings allow the power to the pope. He doth not thereby constitute a pastor over himself, nor a sovereign pastor over his people, for that were to deprive himself of the civil power, which, depending on the opinion men have of their duty to him, and the fear they have of punishment in another world, would depend also on the skill and loyalty of doctors, who are no less subject, not only to ambition, but also to ignorance, than any other sort of men. So that where a stranger hath authority to appoint teachers, it is given him by the sovereign in whose dominions he teacheth. Christian doctors are our schoolmasters to Christianity, but kings are fathers of families, and may receive schoolmasters for their subjects from the recommendation of a stranger, but not from the command, especially when the ill-teaching them shall redound to the great and manifest profit of him that recommends them, nor can they be obliged to retain them longer than it is for the public good, the care of which they stand so long charged with all as they retain any other essential right of the sovereignty. If a man, therefore, should ask a pastor in the execution of his office, as the chief priests and elders of the people asked our Saviour, By what authority dost thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. He can make no other just answer but that he doth it by the authority of the commonwealth given him by the king or assembly that representeth it. All pastors, except the supreme, execute their charges in the right, that is, by the authority of the civil sovereign, that is, jure civili. But the king, and every other sovereign, executeth his office of supreme pastor by immediate authority from God, that is to say, in God's right, or jure divino. And therefore none but kings can put into their titles a mark of their submission to God only. Dea gratia rex, etc. Bishops ought to say, in the beginning of their mandates, by the favour of the king's majesty, bishop of such a diocese, or as civil ministers, in his majesty's name. For in saying, 
divinia providentia which is the same with dea gratia though disguised they deny to have received their authority from the civil state and slyly slip off the collar of their civil subjection contrary to the unity and defence of the commonwealth but if every christian sovereign be the supreme pastor of his own subjects it seemeth that he hath also the authority not only to preach which perhaps no man will deny but also to baptize and to administer the sacrament of the lord's supper and to consecrate both temples and pastors to god's service which most men deny partly because they use not to do it and partly because the administration of sacraments and consecration of persons and places to holy uses requireth the imposition of such men's hands as by the like imposition successively from the time of the apostles have been ordained to the like ministry for proof therefore that christian kings have power to baptize and to consecrate i am to render a reason both why they use not to do it and how without the ordinary ceremony of imposition of hands they are made capable of doing it when they will there is no doubt but any king in case he were skilful in the sciences might by the same right of his office read lectures of them himself by which he authorizeth others to read them in the universities nevertheless because the care of the sum of the business of the commonwealth taketh up his whole time it were not convenient for him to apply himself in person to that particular a king may also if he please sit in judgment to hear and determine all manner of causes as well as give others authority to do it in his name but that the charge that lieth upon him of command and government constrain him to be continually at the helm and to commit the ministerial offices to others under him in the like manner our saviour who surely had power to baptize baptized none himself but sent his apostles and disciples to baptize john chapter four verse two so also st paul by the necessity of preaching in diverse and far distant places baptized few amongst all the corinthians he baptized only chrysippus gaius and stephanus first corinthians chapter one verses fourteen sixteen and the reason was because his principal charge was to preach ibid chapter one verse seventeen whereby it is manifest that the greater charge such as is the government of the church is a dispensation for the less the reason thereof why christian kings used not to baptize is evident and the same for which at this day there are few baptized by bishops and by the pope fewer and as concerning imposition of hands whether it be needful for the authorizing of a king to baptize and consecrate we may consider thus imposition of hands was a most ancient public ceremony among the jews by which was designed and made certain the person or other thing intended in a man's prayer blessing sacrifice consecration condemnation or other speech so jacob in blessing the children of joseph laid his right hand on Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, the firstborn. Genesis, chapter 48, verse 14. And this he did wittingly, though they were so presented to him by Joseph as he was forced in doing it to stretch out his arms across, to design to whom he whom he intended the greater blessing. So also in the sacrificing of the burnt offering, Aaron is commanded, to lay his hands on the head of the bullock exodus chapter twenty nine verse ten 
and to lay his hand on the head of the ram ibid chapter twenty nine verse fifteen the same is also said again in leviticus chapter one verse four and chapter eight verse fourteen likewise moses when he ordained joshua to be captain of the israelites that is consecrated him to god's service laid his hands upon him and gave him his charge numbers chapter twenty seven verse twenty three designing and rendering certain who it was they were to obey in war and in the consecration of the levites god commanded that the children of israel should put their hands on the levites ibid chapter eight verse ten and in the condemnation of him that had blasphemed the lord god commanded that all that heard him should lay their hands on his head and that all the congregation should stone him leviticus chapter twenty four verse fourteen and why should they only that heard him lay their hands upon him and not rather a priest levite or other minister of justice but that none else were able to design and demonstrate to the eyes of the congregation who it was that had blasphemed and ought to die and to design a man or any other thing by the hand to the eye is less subject to mistake than when it is done to the ear by a name and so much was this ceremony observed that in blessing the whole congregation at once which cannot be done by laying on of hands yet aaron did lift up his hand toward the people when he blessed them leviticus chapter nine verse twenty two and we read also of the like ceremony of consecration of temples amongst the heathen as that the priest laid his hands on some post of the temple all the while he was uttering the words of consecration so natural it was to design any individual thing rather by the hand to assure the eyes than by words to inform the ear in matter of god's public service this ceremony was not therefore new in our saviour's time for jairus whose daughter was sick besought our saviour not to heal her but to lay his hands upon her that she might be healed mark chapter five verse twenty three and they brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray matthew chapter nineteen verse thirteen according to this ancient rite the apostles and presbyters and the presbytery itself laid hands on them who they ordained pastors and withal prayed for them that they might receive the holy ghost and that not only once but sometimes oftener when a new occasion was presented but the end was still the same namely a punctual and religious designation of the person ordained either to the pastoral charge in general or to a particular mission so the apostles prayed and laid their hands acts chapter six verse six on the seven deacons which was done not to give them the holy ghost for they were full of the holy ghost before they were chosen as appeareth immediately before ibid chapter six verse three but to design them to that office and after philip the deacon had converted certain persons in samaria peter and john went down and laid their hands on them and they received the holy ghost ibid chapter eight verse seventeen and not only an apostle but a presbyter had this power for st paul adviseth timothy lay hands suddenly on no man first timothy chapter five verse twenty two that is design no man rashly to the office of a pastor the whole presbytery laid their hands on timothy as we read first timothy chapter four verse fourteen but this is to be understood as that some did it by the appointment of the presbytery and most likely their proestos or prolocutor which it may be 
was St. Paul himself. For in his second epistle to Timothy, verse 6, he saith to him, Stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the laying on of my hands. Acts, chapter 9, verses 17, 18. Where note, by the way, that by the Holy Ghost is not meant the third person in the Trinity, but the gifts necessary to the pastoral office. We read also that St. Paul had imposition of hands twice, once from Ananias at Damascus, at the time of his baptism, and again at Antioch, when he was first sent out to preach. Ibid, chapter 13, verse 3. The use then of this ceremony, considered in the ordination of pastors, was to design the person to whom they gave such power. But if there had been then any Christian that had had the power of teaching before, the baptizing of him, that is, the making him a Christian, had given him no new power, but had only caused him to preach true doctrine, that is, to use his power aright, and therefore the imposition of hands had been unnecessary, baptism itself had been sufficient. But every sovereign, before Christianity, had the power of teaching and ordaining teachers, and therefore Christianity gave them no new right, but only directed them in the way of teaching truth, and consequently they needed no imposition of hands, besides that which is done in baptism, to authorize them to exercise any part of the pastoral function, as, namely, to baptize and consecrate. And in the Old Testament, though the priest only had right to consecrate, during the time that the sovereignty was in the high priest, yet it was not so when the sovereignty was in the king. For we read that Solomon blessed the people, consecrated the temple, and pronounced that public prayer. First Kings, chapter 8 which is the pattern now for consecration of all Christian churches and chapels, whereby it appears he had not only the right of ecclesiastical government, but also of exercising ecclesiastical functions. From this consolidation of the right politic and ecclesiastic in Christian sovereigns, it is evident they have all manner of power over their subjects that can be given to a man for the government of men's external actions, both in policy and religion, and may make such laws as themselves shall judge fittest for the government of their own subjects, both as they are the commonwealth and as they are the church, for both state and church are the same men. If they please, therefore, they may, as many Christian kings now do, commit the government of their subjects in matters of religion to the Pope. But then the Pope is in that point subordinate to them, and exerciseth that charge in another's dominion jure civili, in the right of the civil sovereign, not jure divino, in God's right, and may therefore be discharged of that office when the sovereign, for the good of his subjects, shall think it necessary. They may also, if they please, commit the care of religion to one supreme pastor, or to an assembly of pastors, and give them what power over the church, or over one another, they think most convenient, and what titles of honour, as of bishops, archbishops, priests, or presbyters, they will, and make such laws for their maintenance, either by tithes, or otherwise, as they please, so they do it out of a sincere conscience, of which God only is the judge. It is the civil sovereign that is to appoint judges and interpreters of the canonical scriptures, for it is he that maketh them laws. It is he also that giveth strength to excommunications, which but for such laws and punishments, as may humble obstinate libertines, and reduce them to union with the rest of the church, would be contemned. In sum, he hath the supreme power in all causes, as well ecclesiastical as civil, 
as far as concerneth actions and words. For those only are known and may be accused, and of that which cannot be accused there is no judge at all, but God, that knoweth the heart. And these rights are incident to all sovereigns, whether monarchs or assemblies. For they that are the representants of a Christian people are representants of the church, for a church and a commonwealth of Christian people are the same thing. End of chapter 42, part 4 Recording by Geoffrey Edwards